The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Deuteronomy 4, chapter 4, verse 32 through 40. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of, did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no God besides him. Out of heaven he lets you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he lets you see his great fire, and you have heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt, with his own presence, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance, as it is this day. Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. This is the word of God. Thank you, Aaron. Praise the Lord, saints. God is good. Praise the Lord, people of God. <laughs> Praise the Lord, people of God. Are you glad to be in the guy's house this morning? Put your hands together for Jesus. Put your hands together for the Lord. I know it's cold, but we're going to pray that the fire that we just read about is going to come and warm y'all up. Amen, somebody. Uh, let me just say a brief word about uh, what today is in light of, of God's word. I don't ever want us to get it mixed up as if we're putting things above God, but we know that God uses people to put and move forward. His will. Amen. We are uh, a church that is intentional about being multi in class, race, uh, as well in uh, generation. And specifically wanting to reconcile individuals which society has pent against one another together. We want to continue that legacy. As we are in this place, we're here because of God's providence, and we're cold at the moment because of God's providence. But we want to remember what God has done so that we may continue to carry it. Amen, somebody. 
So as downtown church and the people of this congregation, we don't want the legacy just to be a day in which we remember. We want to continue to do it by reading and hearing the God's word, loving one another, loving our neighbors, and making sure that we're preaching and living the truth in every aspect and facet of our lives so that people may know who God is and how he's reconciled black and white, young and old, uh, rich and poor. We want God to do that amongst our congregation, and we want to be a light in this city. Amen, somebody? All right. Uh, As we've been worshiping, I I just want to give God praise for our our choir, uh, Adriana. Amen. Um, Because I, I like to look at a worship service for everything that it is. You see that we opened up with Cornerstone. We opened up how big our God is and we're founded on a big God. We're, we're reminded that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and known by our God. And then we come and we also know that he's a bomb in Gilead, right? That he's, he's a healing bomb. And I could just preach on that all day long. But then we know that we make it not because of our own strength, but because of him. And there's times when I hear a refrain of there's no nothing that God cannot do. I know in one thing that I got to continue to hear that over and over and over again because I'm reminding myself of times when I did not think God was going to do something. And then when I hear the song say there's nothing he can't do, then I begin to think about what he is going to do. Amen, somebody. And that, that is a blessing to me because I know some of us will say, well, what about the things that he did not do? Well, I say that, that it, was a, it was not according to his will. It's not that he can't. It's not that he, he won't. But God is going to will what he desires according to his plan and his will. And that's big. Why? And that's major. Because he is God and God alone. Today, and in this series that we're continuing to go through, we're going to talk about God and God alone, that there is no other God. Richard talked about the authority of Scripture last week and the premise in which we understand that the Bible is the very source of everything that we need to know about God from that standpoint. But it does not exhaust every single thing that we know about God or should know about God. Amen. And as Richard preached that, we, um, what he let us know is, is that today there's a heightened level of not only biblical illiteracy, but also theological illiteracy. And in that, what we ought to know is what we need to believe in who we're believing in and why do we believe in God. And so that is what we are going to go and talk about this morning as we look at the essential of our faith that proclaims that we believe in one God. And why do we want to do that? Because we are addressing two things in which many of us don't think about. That we have monotheism and then we have polytheism. And what we proclaim is that we're monotheistic in our proclamation and that we're not religiously plural. We're not a religious pluralism. What we proclaim is that we believe in one God, the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things, infinitely perfect and eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to him all glory 
and praise forever. That is what we believe in as Christians. When we understand what it means to be monotheistic, it means we believe in one God. There are other uh, religions, for example, Islam and Judaism, that believe also in one God. Then you also have polytheism, which means you believe in many gods, and that is Buddhism and Hinduism, uh, etc. And there are several different religions that also believe in many gods. And so what you what we want to deal with this morning is why? Why do we need to believe in one God? And why does the Bible tell us to believe in one God? I don't want to, uh, I want to make this, I don't want to make this a theological exercise where you feel like you're in school. So what I want you to know is that God that seems distant is a very God that is near. That he knows you and you know him. And so in answering the question, I want us to deal with two things. That simply knowing God is one thing that we ought to pursue. And then also, knowing the God, the false gods of our culture is something that we ought to be aware of. Knowing God and then knowing the false gods of our culture. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we bless you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you, Jesus, because you helped us when we did not know it. And you continue to remind us of all of what you have done, will do, and will continue to do. Uh, and we ask, Lord Jesus, that in this moment, that you use me as your servant. Empty me, fill me up with your spirit, that I may speak directly to your people. Hide me beneath your cross. Father, I pray that in every aspect, my words are used for your glory. And that, Lord, your people are able to meditate on your goodness and your faithfulness to them. For it is in Jesus' mighty name all God's people said. So we understand that the Bible does not necessarily show us a comprehensive perspective of who God is. That the Bible gives us this tension around the incomprehensibility of knowing God and the knowability of God. And in that tension, we are seeing that at the same time, God can be fully known. And that is a mystery. And it's a struggle for us because what it says in turn that we have to, extreme, we have to be extremely humble in our approach to God. We cannot try to know every single thing about God or assume that we will or feel that simply because we know the entire Bible that we know all of God. But the idea in which God has given us his word, as Richard has reminded us last week, is the very, is the very fact of the matter is that God wants to be known. He wants us to know him and he wants to know us. And so I figured that if we know his character, then that would be one hint in which it means that we, we can observe and know who God is. That's why I like this passage for us. Because this passage not only highlights that Israel worships one God, but it also highlights how Israel struggled with polytheism. That there were several different gods in, in the midst of the God that they were supposed to worship, the one true God. And I like how Moses reveals to us, we see God's name, we see his actions, we see his attributes, and we see his image. In knowing God, in this particular passage, we see his name, we see his image, we see his attributes, we see his actions, and we see his image. Uh, and so if you're following me, I want you to just look at the scripture where in verse 32, Moses says, for ask now, for ask now of, day, of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created 
man on earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Right under there, I had to highlight the great thing because what, what uh, Moses points out is the fact that God, this God, the true God, has done the greatest thing known to them. Nothing has ever happened that any other God can do besides what this God has done, and that's create humanity and create the earth. That can go all the way into how they even understand them, themselves to be people. Remember, a people coming out of captivity, a people being a treasured possession of God, a people who, have, who don't know who this is. So look at the next verse in which Paul, I, I mean, um, Paul, Moses is saying, because I really want y'all to see what Moses is saying. So I'm going to read just a little bit more. Did any people ever hear the voice of God? Lowercase God, speaking. Did any people ever hear that? No. Out of the midst of this, uh, out of the midst of fire, as you have heard and still live. I want you to look at that and then scroll down just a little bit. Look at verse 35. Because I want to compare how Moses is kind of using negatives against positives and contrasting who God, who the real God is opposed to who these gods is, who these gods are. 35, he says, to you, it was shown that you might know that, that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of the heaven, he let, your, he let you hear his voices that ye, he might discipline you. Look at, look at this next sentence. And on earth, he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. This contrasts exactly what he was asking in the question. And what you see is God acting in his mercy. First of all, in acting in his mercy and his grace because the fire did not consume them. And then you see God acting as a shepherd. That is his image. And then you see God letting them know that he is acting through redeeming. When you look at, when you look at verse 34, through his signs and through his wonders. I want you to, if, you, if you're a good note taker, take these down because what you see is, you see Moses saying, God has been at work. No other God has been at work. All other gods have been mute and this God has been at work. Why is that evident for us? And why is that important for us at this, time, that this, this day and time? It's clear. Because what we want to know, what Moses wants us in the Bible and God wants us to know is, is that there are various different gods that will still occur today in this day and age. I was in an Uber car. Best thing I can do is illustrate this for y'all. So pray for me and then my throat don't get dry. And I asked the brother, I've written with him a couple times in the Uber. And his name is, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but I was going to say his name, but then I realized, oh, Mike, that's not a good thing to say his name, because y'all may know he is, but he's from Cambodia. And so I asked him, I said, man, you picked me up before, I got the, 
hear how he's doing, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, um, do you believe in God? And he was, he was a bit upset. He's always a friendly guy. But then he, I can see his demeanor changed. And he said, no, I don't believe in God. And it was as if I was not supposed to ask him anything else after that. So I said, oh, I'm saying, sorry about that, brother. I don't, I, don't wanna, I, don't, I don't want you to swerve over and let me out the car now. <laughs> I want to get to my destination. Amen. In Jesus' name. Uh, and so I said, listen, I, I apologize. I, don't, I, don't, um, I see that I offended you. And, uh, he said, he, and I said, uh, 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 is that, uh, are you okay? He said, he said, okay, I'm fine, but it's a long story. And I don't, I don't want, you, don't, you don't want to hear why I don't believe in God. Lo and behold, he began to tell me why he didn't believe in God. <laughs> he said, I don't, I don't believe in God because my parents, they, uh, they, they try to make me believe in God. And I told him, God can't do nothing for me. God's not going to pay my bills. God's not going to put food on my table. I can't see God. What am I do with, with a God that I can't see? And what, what, what is, he's like, I, if he, he pointed to 201 Poplar. He said, if I wanted to rob a bank, where am I going to be at? I'm going to be in 201 Poplar. That's where I'm going to be. So I know right from wrong. If I don't do that, then I can be out here making money. That's what I can do. I don't need a Bible to tell me that. He said, that thing that you're reading, he said, that thing that your parents are, my parents are reading, he's like, yeah, I'll read that, but what is it, what, where, where you see God at? You don't see him, do you? He's not doing anything, do you? He didn't answer any of your prayers, did he? And he's going and he's rambling on and he's telling me all of this and I can tell he's angry and he's upset that something's deeper than that. And then I, and, and I, and I, I said, well, man, I understand. He's like, yeah. And he's told me, he's like, one day, you know what? I, I, it's not that I won't believe in God. Or, he kind of went there, but he's like, I, he ain't doing nothing for me. And I said, okay. He said, I don't believe in Buddhism. I don't believe in Hinduism. I don't believe in no God. What I believe in is doing what I need to do to put food on the table for my family. I found that that was interesting. Because as I look at our passage this morning and I contrast what he's saying, the fact of the matter is he said, I don't see God. Israel had a clear picture of who God actually is. And Moses, in his presentation of who God is, he gets to the point in which he says, there's no other gods beside him. And Moses not only says that, but he reminds them of what God delivered them from. Here is where it, mean, where it means to believe, what it, what it means for us to believe in one God. It, it, it means to know his character and to know and observe what's been done in your life and don't necessarily see it as an invisibility that doesn't that just comes up to a coincidence but to actually see it as a providential moment that God sustainer and creator of all things something is directing what I'm doing in life there's no way that we can simply look at and be in a culture to which we say God does not exist, but not wrestle with what actually is going on in terms of our life. My wife, she, we, she is working at the hospital and she runs into several different people. I should ask if I can use this illustration, but I didn't. Uh, so I'm gonna ask for forgiveness. But she was saying how when she tells people, for some reason they ask her every time, what does your husband do? Boom, I'm a pastor. Next thing, oh my goodness, you're a pastor's wife, blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, it's like, why do y'all believe in God? And she gets these questions 
and also gets this, this level of resistance that says, well, if you believe in God, why don't you just believe in anything? Because you can't see him. Everything is being abundant, the, the, how tangible God is. But can I say something to y'all this morning? Because some of y'all may struggle with that. God may have not, you may not know God by his name. You may not know God as Israel has sensed and known him by his grace and his redeeming power, by him being a father and even seen his wrath on nations. You may not have seen that, nor have you may had a personal encounter with God. But can I say something this morning? If you were just to look back over your life, and I like to say it as I, I used to hear when I became a Christian, and what all has happened, but I'm going to put God has done for you. I want you just to take a preview and see how God had made ways for you that did not necessarily come out of nothing, but was orchestrated by a divine providence that led you to where you are today. Because the thing is, when we get to, how do I need to know false gods? It's exactly from the sense of, well, we need to be aware of what's going on around us. It was clear that sometimes we know about how religious pluralism plays out in our society as well as this postmodern thought of subjective truth. That truth has no weight. That is actually you can create your own. You can form and make your own. But I want you to think about this for a moment because there are certain areas in which our culture that are, you may see Hebrew Israelites. You may see more simple time, more uh, uh, more Temple, science temple, whatever, I can't say it right now. <laughs> but you, you may not see those things, but it's very prevalent in our culture, just like postmodernity and religious pluralism. Why is, it in, why is it important to understand this? Because as monotheistic people, we have to understand that people, even as Christians, have adopted various different ideologies and applied them to Christianity. And so now you believe in God, you believe in the moon God, and you believe in 50 other things. But then here it is. You say, well, Mike, I only believe in God. Not only, not only do you, you don't see the idols that actually you, be, you begin to worship when you don't adhere to the fact of who God really is. Right? Culture subtly gives you idols to worship. And you pick them up. And you put them, and you take them, and you put them in your life. The idol becomes your family. But then you say it's a good thing. As long as I take care of my family. But when your family takes precedence over God, what happens? When your career takes precedence over God, what happens? These become false gods that we, just like the Israelites, I don't know if you've ever been out in a, in a different country and you've seen people who have idols lined up or a shrine. What happened, what you see, we subtly put idols on a shrine in our life. It becomes education. It becomes consumerism. It becomes sex. Some of us, it's drugs. It is nationalism. It's trying to find our identity in the fact of our own culture in our own ethnicity, these gods subtly rise up and take over our lives. 
So why do we proclaim and iterate the fact that we need to know one guy? It is because our lifestyles oftentimes do not point to one God, but it points to multiple gods that we worship. If I were to answer this question that I posed to you, why do we worship only one God? Why is it important to know that? Simply for the fact that you don't, you're not aware of all the idols that you're worshiping now. If you are aware of everything that you're worshiping now, you would see a stark contrast in your life. You would see how you oftentimes allow God to only work in times of emergency. That you allow God to be used. But can I say something to you this morning? That God right now has you here. If you're searching, if you're wondering, if you're trying to figure out what you believe and why believe in him, he has you here for a purpose. And not only that, but he wants you to begin to investigate why you don't believe in him. And if you're a Christian this morning and you're asking the question, well, why do I, only, why do I really only believe in one God? Why do I proclaim that he's sovereign? Why do I say that he's the creator? Why, why don't I believe in, in everything else science is saying? Why haven't I adhered to what Richard Dawkins has said against the faith? I want you to investigate that. Why do I believe he's the sustainer? The picture that I want you to look at is what Moses says. What, other, what have the mute God said? And what has the true God done? That's, and I want you to answer that question. Because here it is, even at infancy, remember when my, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, a child idolize things. You've ever seen a child idolize things, it's, it's incredible. Because as a parent, you buy them something in hopes that they would enjoy it and recognize that you're the one that's giving it to them. Right? Instead, when you buy them something, they take ownership of it and you can no longer use it. It's funny because when you watch a child idolize a toy or a gift, what happens is, what happens is, am I, am I going? what happens is, is that the thing about it is, is that we, um, it, yeah, thank you. The thing about it, <laughs> the thing about it is, is that they, they don't recognize the giver. They only emphasize the gift. When we look at God in the aspect in which knowability versus incomprehensibility, oftentimes we don't recognize that this God who is so big and we can't exhaust him, but we can only know him in such a way, has given us life. But we only recognize the life and not the life giver. Much like a child, we have to recognize the one who's given us life, who's given us the gift. And as we cherish it, what we have to say to ourselves is that, why do I not appreciate the life that's been given to me? Because when I look at that Uber driver 
I said, he doesn't appreciate what's been given to him. He's angry. And he's hurt. And there's no way you can theologize, just walk, talk your way through, it, through that theologically. That has to be nursed and nurtured in a way in which he sees that God sees him even though he doesn't see him. And he wants to reveal himself to him. Does that make sense to you, church? And so as we think about what it means to walk with, with the Lord, and we think about who God is, I want you to think about this and, and understand it as, again, what I want to reiterate, reiterate what we said from the top. Why do I believe in one God? Why do I believe it? Why is this preacher saying believe in him? Because I think that he sees you, even though that you may not see him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you and we bless you for this time. And Father, we thank you that you are the one that continues to remind us of how we ought to look to you. And you are the one that is going to make everything come true. And as you do, Lord, I pray, Jesus, that we understand that what you've done and will continue to do is according to your will. And you won't be provoked by anything that we want you to do. You'll do everything because you desire to do it. And you are God of all things. And we proclaim your sovereignty. We proclaim that you are the sustainer of all things. And we know that you are good. And that there is none like you. No one on this earth or in heaven. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. Let us continue to worship God by giving our gifts.